0: Our reading today is selected from Romans 12 and 15. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the evil of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think about sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does act of mercy and cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the Word of God.
1: Thank you, Cheryl, for reading that for us. That was a selection from Romans chapter 12 and then also from Romans chapter 15. We could have read actually three or four chapters because they all have essentially the same theme, which is how is it that people who have individually responded to Jesus, how are they meant to relate to one another? It's a very important theme. You see, we're taking time this month to consider our unique thumbprint as a church. As you probably know, we're a brand-new church. We've only been meeting about a year. In fact, a year ago, as we were kind of getting going, there were about maybe a dozen of us who were gathered here in this place, hoping someday that there would be actually people sitting here or there. So thank you. You are an answer to prayer, your presence here uh, this morning. We're excited about the opportunity to serve our community as a brand new church in this town. And so we've been thinking here the, this during this month, two weeks before and two weeks following this, this week, that we, what, what does it mean? What are we about as a church? What is it that matters to us? We've seen that we call ourselves Ecclesia, that's our official name, although people often often think of us as the church at the chip, and as long as we're meeting here, we'll be called, I'm sure, the church at the chip, and we hope that lasts for a long period of time. But our official name is Ekklesia, not only because, in fact, that is the New Testament word for church. When you see the word church in your Bible, the Greek word underneath that word is the word Ekklesia, and, of course, it reminds us that the fact that the church is never meant to be a building because, obviously, we meet in a building which is often used for other purposes besides worship. Well, let's say it's often used for worship, but not always worship of the living God in Jesus Christ. Let's put it that way. In any case, uh, the New Testament, a word for the church, but it also reminds us of some of the critical priorities that, as a church, we never want to lose sight of as we develop a Christian community right here in our beloved town of Cave Creek. For we do not want to see church, as you may recall from the last week or so, simply as a place that I attend or as a product that we promote. We are instead a people who are called the word "ecclesia" means a called-out community, so we always want to be people who are called and gathered and sent. We state it this way, and you see it on the back of your program today. We are called to faith in the gospel of Christ, gathered in love as the community of Christ, and sent with hope on the mission of Christ. Nine key words, called to faith in the gospel, gathered in love as a community, sent with hope on the mission, we're on that second of those three priorities. Gathered in love as the community of Christ, because last week we took a look at the first one: called to faith in the gospel of Christ. Last week we took a look at the first chapter of this great book, the Book of Romans, and we learned that we are called uh, to, uh, called to respond called by God rather to respond to the gospel in faith. The Book of Romans is that great book a treatise, if you will, on what it means to be called to faith in the gospel of Christ. And that's one reason why I want to take this book and see that there's another very important theme in Romans. This morning, we're going to take a look at the second theme, and it's one that Romans talks about from the 12th chapter on, gathered in love as the community of Christ. And we're going to do it under three basic Uh, Three basic headings the importance of community, the marks of community, and the expression of community. So let's take those three topics together. Let's look first of all at the importance of community um, in this text. It is absolutely critical that we understand that we are not just saved individually to follow. Jesus. Sadly, American Christianity has often been influenced more by the, individual in the individualism of our culture than by the teaching of Scripture. We see all the verses that talk about the individual personal response to Jesus. We see those verses, but we don't see the larger truths that are there. We have a Jesus and me. Approach to our faith. Remember that song? And now it's Jesus and me for each tomorrow, Jesus and me for every sorrow. I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend, and so to the end, it's Jesus and me. Some of you may have heard that song. Obviously, most of you haven't, but you did notice that it rhymed, right? It's not just Jesus and you. We tend to see church as a means to our own spiritual growth. And if that church doesn't meet my expectations, we either quit church altogether and cultivate a personal, private spirituality with me and Jesus, or we find another church until that one begins to disappoint us too, and then we look to another church because we think that somehow the church is there to help me become the fully actualized self that I am supposed to be. But this is utterly foreign to the Bible. This is utterly foreign to what God has been doing. From the very beginning of time, from the time when God called Abraham and promised to make of him a family through whom he would bless the whole world, God's plan has always involved a community, not merely individuals. It was true on Mount Sinai when God called a people to himself. It was true for Jesus when he called the twelve to himself. And from the very beginning, it was true for the church. Consider the various images for church in the Bible. Have you been around church circles at all? You know the church is called a body, it's called a building, it's called a family, it's likened to a marriage, and it's likened to an army. Now think about those. Every one of those requires more than one person for it to be true. We're a body. Romans twelve five are our test to the day. We, though many, are, w- are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You can't cut off pieces and still have a body, right? We're connected to one another. The image requires connection. Or how about the idea of a building or a temple? Ephesians 2, 19, it says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built, that's the image of a family, and then going on he mixes the metaphor, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now we have a building in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I have a home which is a block home. Any of you live in a block home? I didn't think so. Too bad for you. I love living in a block home. And, and I even helped build my home, and so I carried all those blocks. I worked as a hottie on my own home. You know, any of you know what a hottie is? Yeah, I look like a hottie, right? No. I, don't, I, th- I, don't think, you, I think you spell it H-A-D-D eye or something. It's the guy, it's the grunt labor who carries, makes the mortar, carries the block, makes sure it's all. And so I helped my cousin by doing that. And there are a gazillion blocks, and I moved every single one of them probably 12 times. They are very heavy. You know how they get block on the top of the thing? You know this, right? You you, You actually stack them up, and you roll them between your legs, and you throw them up. And a guy stands on the second scaffold and catches them and stacks them together, okay? That's what you are. You are individual blocks, but not alone. You're not a temple until you're connected to others. It's not just me and Jesus and my own private, individual, interior, interior, pure spirituality. That is not what the Scripture teaches. That's what the Enlightenment taught us. That's what the age of modernism taught us. It is not what the Scripture teaches, and the church must fight against that because we are not healthy when we're all alone. First Peter I'll get off on that. But First Peter two five. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We can't be a family all by ourselves. We can't be a building all by ourselves. We can't be a temple all by ourselves. We can't be a body all by ourselves. It requires other people. It's absolutely critical. It's so obvious we say, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But then we often just think of church as just a place I go to and I show up when I want so it meets my needs, you see, and take what I can get from it so that I can go live my life. If that's our view of the church, we've missed what it really means. The church even speaks about the church as a family, speaking of us as brothers and sisters. You know, as many of you will know, my father just passed away, and I have a bracelet which he gave, he, he left for me that uh, that he wanted me to have So. I'm thinking of him today as I'm talking about this. You know, I have two brothers and one sister. I was born in 1960, my brother in 61, my other brother in 62, and my sister in 67. So we're kind of a close, tightened up family there. And, you know, we are all connected to one another because we have a common mother and father, you see. We're not just individuals. We're parts of a family. Or consider even the idea of marriage Jesus, uh, the Ephesians 5 says, "'Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh.'" You, see, you can't be married to yourself. Let us forget that. <laughs> There's, it's not about you. It's about a family, right? And then he goes on to say, "'For no one but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body.'" The marriage relationship is a picture of the church relationship. It involves a group. Or even the idea of an army, Second Timothy 2, a share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled the civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Well, all these images tell us that when we respond to Christ, we become part of a body, part of a temple, part of a building, part of a family, part of a marriage, part of an army. We're connected to other people. There is no such thing as lone rangering when it comes to following Jesus, according to the Bible. You see, church is not a resource God has provided for me to grow in my spiritual life. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm automatically part of a family, part of a body, part of a community, part of an army, part of a marriage, part of a temple. I need that community, and that community needs me. One of the greatest needs of the American church is to rediscover this fact. We are not free agents when it comes to our faith. And so this is why we want to see that Jesus didn't die only to save individuals. He individuals, he did die to do that. But for many of us growing in what are called evangelical churches, that's the only message we ever hear. We want to get individuals brought into a right relationship with Christ. Well, that's important. Birth is important, but once you're born, you're in a family. Once you're a block, you're in a building, you see. He died to create a new community, and this is the heart of God's plan for the world. The church is fundamental what God is doing. This theme is found all the way through the New Testament. I could take it in many passages, but I thought since we were in Romans, I would stick with it here at the twelfth chapter last week, as you recall, we looked at the first chapter of this book, and uh, but now let 's look at chapter. 12 and following. Because here we see that Paul, once he paints this story of how God is working to put individuals into right relationship with himself, he now spends chapters 12 through chapter 16 talking about the fact that as after we are called to faith in the gospel, we are gathered in in love as a community of Christ. We are part of a community, God's community, the body of Christ no less, and that as such we have some very important responsibilities to one another. You know, in chapters 12 and thereafter, we're given many admonitions. Cheryl read them for you about how we are to live together as a community united by our faith in Christ, okay? Well, let's see, for example, the the three. Go on to the next one, Brian. Uh, There's three things that he talks about. He says that we are to, number one, present our bodies to God present our bodies to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In chapter 12, we can't, you know, see it, but this is a significant turn in Paul's argument. He's been talking how God has brought individuals into relationship with him, and now he's talking to us about how we are supposed to behave. We're, first of all, called to surrender ourselves to God. So, we say to ourselves, first of all, I belong to God. This is why we say church is not really about us. It's about God. We are human beings created by our Maker who only work well when we're in proper relationship with Him. Jesus died to establish that relationship, and so now we can become the fully functioning human beings He intended us to be when we remember we belong to Him. We belong to Him, and that's a good thing because He is the only one who really knows how life works best for us. So we surrender our bodies, we present our bodies to God, not just my mind not just my thoughts, not just the way that I think, not my personal, private, per, interior spirituality. You see, there is no dichotomy in this scripture between your interior self and your exterior self. You're all one. We present our bodies to Christ. And the second thing is to refuse self-absorbed Notice what it says. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, he's talking about a variety of things here, but one of the things in our context is we can get so self-absorbed with me and my thing. Don't think of yourself more highly, you see. Don't just think it's all about you. It's not all about You think soberly according to what God has promised for you. So, I reject the individualism of our culture. One of the sad things is the moment of conflict in our relationship, in our jobs, in our small groups, in our neighborhoods, the moment of conflict where we're most tempted to leave is very often the moment of conflict we most need to grow. You see, we keep backing away from all those conflicts. No, I reject that individualism. You see, I will say it again. Jesus didn't just die to save individuals. He died to create a community, and this is at the heart of what God is doing in the world. Okay, and so the third thing is, remember, we're members of Christ's body. And so we say, I belong to you. I belong to you. To you, For as in one body we have many members, and each member does not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. When Christ called you to himself, he called you to one another in community. So we need to say to ourselves, I belong to God. I reject individualism. I belong to God. You, I mean, it's kind of an odd thing. If I look at you right in the eye, Todd, I belong to you, see? We have, a, we have some sort of a commitment to one another if we both have this commitment to Christ. And so what matters to you matters to me. What happens to you happens to me. That's why the Bible says in this very text, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're called to care for one another. So let's look secondly then at the marks of community. That's the importance of community. But let's look, secondly, at the marks of community. We're just getting an overview here this morning. There are three things we want to see about the marks of community. Number one, as members of Christ's body, we must serve one another. We must serve one another. He says, don't get so high and mighty thinking about yourself, all alone just you and Jesus, but remember you're individually members of a body. So it says, having then gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. One of the sad tragedies is that for most of us in our technological age, we've just looked at this passage of, of, of Scripture, and then we want to talk to you about your gifts. Right. And we get this whole big thing about what that gift. You you already heard me preaching that you've heard it a thousand times. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say the Bible is teaching that God has gifted you to serve the body. You see. We're called to meet one another's needs, to, to to be involved in serving one another. If I have different kinds of gifts that God has given to me, they're not meant for me. They're meant for one another. At another time, we might do a study of the spiritual gifts, but I'm afraid that's kind of like painting by numbers of getting the simple, turning a technological thing, making a technological thing about something which is really organic. We're a family. We take care of one another. We serve one another. We put up with one another. We help one another. God has given us the gifts to be able to do that. And there are specific gifts. I'm not demeaning that, but I want to see the bigger picture. We tend to stress the gifts themselves, but instead we should stress, I think today, the importance of serving one another. Jesus had such a hard time getting his disciples to see that. You remember it, perhaps, in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus had said to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to take me, and they're going to kill me you know, and he's walking along ahead in Mark chapter 10, and James and John are having a little conversation. They're thinking, well, something's going to be happening. So, it's time for us to find our position. You You know, there's 12 of us here, you know. Some of them are, you know, who's at the top? So, they go, and they talk to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can I be on your right or on your left? You see, They're deferring to one another because they're brothers, right? I'll let you be there on the right if I can be on the left. But what they're really doing is finding the position among others. Jesus then stops his walk, sits down, and it says the twelve were indignant when they heard this. They were mad because this is a kingdom where you're looking for position. And Jesus said, no, in the world that's the way that it goes. Everybody's looking for what they can get, what they can get out. And if they have power, they wield it in authority over other people. But Jesus said, it is not to be so among you, forever which is to be great among you, let him become the servant, and he which will be the greatest of all, let him become the least of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we're called to serve one another. So it's a privilege that we have to lay down and serve one another. Jesus was among us as one who served. So as members of Christ's bodies, let's find ways to serve one another. I see that happening already in our church family. Secondly, as members of Christ's body, we must love one another. Listen to these words in verse 9 and following. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer." contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's clear. He expects these Christians to have commitments to one another and to love and serve one another. We didn't read this text, but it's found in the 13th chapter as well in the 8th verse. Oh, no one, anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and the other commandments are all summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as your Self. And then he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, as members of Christ's body, we need to find ways to love one another. And thirdly, as members of Christ's body, we need to find ways to accept one another. This I find particularly in the 14th and 15th chapters of this book. We're taking sort of an overall look at this. Listen to what it says here about that community. He says in chapter 15, We who are strong ought to, excuse me, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... Through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with each other in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It means that unity is not easy. Some are stronger, some are weaker. Some are nicer, some are not so nice, some are prettier, some are uglier, some are like people you want to hang out, with. some are people you don 't want to hang out with you see that 's what the Bible is m- It's meant to be an odd collection of people. We're creating a new humanity where people don't judge one another by the kind of clothes that they wear, the kind of job that they have, the kind of woman that they're with, the kind of things that they do. They don't judge one another that that way. They say instead we're all the deeply loved creation of God. And so let's bear with one another. And it says welcome one another, but in one of the versions it says, therefore accept one another as Christ accepted you, oh, we've got to come back to the gospel. When I become judgmental at someone who doesn't meet my needs and push them off or away or don't hang out with them, I should be drawn again to the story of the gospel because God did not do that with me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're called to love those who are unlovely because we ourselves would have been unlovely except God chose to love us. We've got to bear with these other's one, one another's weakness. We need to live in harmony, it says. So, let's move on to the third thing, the expression of our community the expression of our community. There's three things I just want to say as we kind of close out our time together, some principles that come out of this teaching from Scripture. The first thing is everyone is welcome here no matter who you are, whether you believe in God or not, yeah, you're welcome here. You don't have to believe in God to come here. You're welcome here. You don't have to have your life perfect. You're welcome here. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're as welcome in our community as we are welcome to God because Jesus died for us and made us right before Him. So, we want to have the kind of a community where although we are committed to the truth and teaching the truth, we love and welcome everyone. You know, there's, that's one of the beautiful things for us about meeting at the Buffalo Chip or meeting outdoors is we're already in an environment where people understand any church that would meet in a bar is probably a safe church for me to go to, you see? But it's more than just the location. It needs to be in the hearts of those of us. We need to have this welcome because all of us come to God the same way. None of us bring our own goodness into God's presence. Our righteousness, we already understand, is as what? Filthy what? rags. It's nothing. It's all of what Jesus has done done for us and given to us. He has placed his righteousness on us. So we ought to be humble as we relate to other people. They don't need any more grace than we need, you see. So everyone is welcome here. I trust you feel welcomed when you come in here. If you don't, let us know because we are failing you if you don't feel welcomed here. Secondly, everyone is family here. Everyone is family here. If you understand this Scripture at all, you understand that when you made a commitment to follow Jesus, you became part of a family, part of a marriage, part of a temple, part of a body. We're all connected to one another. So we need to find ways to build family connection. We are a family because of what Christ has done. And that's why that second part of our statement is so important, gathered in love, excuse me, as the community of Christ. We desperately need relationship. You know the most cruel form of punishment is solitary confinement. Why? Because we are social beings. We need people. We die without relationship. And there are many people who've looked for intimacy in all the wrong places, who've looked for acceptance in all the wrong places, who've looked for all the wrong kinds of people to meet the need that only God can meet for them, but we can provide that for one another, where people are family together. Now, it's one thing to talk about that. It's much more difficult to do that it requires much of a, more of a mutual commitment because family, have you thought about it? Family's kind of messy sometimes, isn't it? Isn't your family a little messy? Don't you sometimes get angry and kind of want to quit on your family? Don't you get frustrated? Yeah, and church can be that way too. But we need to find a way to be united together because I'm connected to my brothers because I have a common blood with them. And we are connected to one another because we share a common blood, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we'll have conflict. Yeah, we'll get frustrated. Yeah, we won't figure it out, but we need to hang in there with one another. This is why I hope you'll come to our breakfast next Sunday afternoon. That's not the point of this message, but just come. Take the risk. Say, okay, I want to be part of a family. Well, come on. And when we get our family groups going, I want to invite you to become, be a part of one of those family groups. And don't look at it as, well, if I'll go to a Bible study, if I can get something out of it. No, it's not just about that. It's about making a commitment to people, you see, family groups. And in fact, I hope you will write the word family group on your card saying I'm interested in that because that would be a good step for you to take. And the third thing is everyone is important here. Everyone is important here. As a family, we all have... Commitments and obligations to one another. You know, one of the things that's going to happen for me in the next month is a month from now, I'm going to be a part of my son's wedding. It's going to be a great day. And they picked September 15th as the day for their wedding, which happens to be on a Sunday in California. I'm going to be gone. The Sunday before that, my nephew's getting married, and he's getting married on a Sunday too in the morning. I'm not performing that wedding, but he's my family, and I need to be there in San Diego. So that means I'm going to have to break all the rules because of this truth, because we're a family together. We're a brand new church, and I'm going to be gone two weeks in a row. You know, if the church is all about a place to attend and programs, then the the preacher can't be gone, right? You know, we don't even, I know churches where they never even tell people when the main preacher is going to be gone, right, because they might not show up, you know. To me, that communicates the wrong message. No, we're a family. Families pull together. So on the two Sundays that I'm going to be gone, Greg Boyd is going to speak on that Sunday. It be great to have one of your brothers teach from the Scripture that morning. And on the next Sunday that I'm gone, Steve Aiken's going to teach on the 15th of September. Well, it be great that on that day, we can hear from one of our brothers teaching us the Scripture. And Kevin will be involved in leading worship in one of those days. And we've got some other things that are planned for that time. that time period. You see, it's a way for us to affirm that we're family. As we grow… There will be more and more ways for you to get involved, and I just hope you, there's no guilting here was part of a family. But if you want to be a part, one of the difficulties is, you know, this is a, you know, um, as our church grows, there become more and more things that need to be done, and you're important to that. So find a way to be involved in our church family, and you will grow from in, response, in response to that. Well, we've seen that we are brothers and sisters because we share the same Father. And if you're here today, I trust that you will respond in faith to the gospel of Christ and that we will then gather together as the community of Christ so that we can go from here sent with hope on the mission of Christ that's next week's topic. I hope you don't miss it. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you so much, so much for calling us to yourself. But it's not just about me and you. It's about we and us. You've built a new family. Oh, what a, our world needs to see examples of life lived together well. And we, we have such a hard time with that because we're, it's so deeply ingrained Our consumeristic approach to life affects everything. Father, break down those barriers and help us to learn what it means to be a family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.